Welcome to this podcast. Dane here, Chief Medical Advisor, Active IQ. So today I'm joined by Sarah Hattie, uh, one of the physios uh, working in professional sport. So Sarah, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi Dane, hi everyone, thank you for having me. Um, so as Dane said, I'm, my name's Sarah, I'm a physiotherapist and I currently work as the lead physio for Yorkshire Carnegie's Academy, who are a rugby union team. I also do some work with GB Basketball and I've just started working at a private clinic um, in York called the Yorkshire Sports Medicine. So quite varied in my caseload, but it's interesting. Sounds good. So there's a mixture of private medicine and some sport. Yeah, that's right. Um, great. Okay, so I guess the idea of doing this podcast with you today is uh, Active IQ are going to be releasing a, a corrective exercise qualification. Um, and it's great to kind of get your input working in sport, particularly from a physio and S&T perspective about what you're doing and what your thoughts are. So uh, let's start with the first question, really, which is what does corrective exercise or prehab mean to you? And tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Yorkshire Carnegie. So um, prehab uh, originally started as preoperative rehabilitation. So for those who are waiting to have surgery, it was an ideal time to start to work on some of their barriers. So increasing their muscle strength or working on their range of movement. And we've kind of taken some of those principles and added them to try and reduce the risk of injury within professional sports. So at Yorkshire Carnegie at the moment, we like to look at areas that we think are causing potential risk for injuries or common injuries that we're seeing and try and give some strengthening and exercises developed within their program to try and reduce that risk. So an example of that would be um, in our under 16s at the moment, we've got quite a high ACL rate. Um, so we've really reflected quite a lot on that and we've adapted our strength and conditioning program to include a lot more single leg work, a lot of glute work, a lot of core work, and a lot more looking at like the, the movement patterns rather than just trying to make them as strong as possible. We're trying to make them functional as well. Sounds good. And do you measure that yet or have you had any data from that? Uh, we are currently collecting the data because it's just something that we've implemented and it was more um, reactive rather than proactive. So we're just mm. trying to see how it works for the, our age range at the moment. Um, but it should be interesting. We should hopefully get some nice data from that. Great. So I guess as part of that, looking at movement screening itself, um, is that something you guys use at Yorkshire Carnegie and kind of what do you do with those results? Yeah, I think... Um, there's a lot of interesting research around movement screening and does it work, doesn't it work? Um, so it really depends at Yorkshire Carnegie as to where they are in their rugby development pathway um, as to what screening we do. Um, what we do with our um, championship squad or our, our, like our first team is on a daily basis we measure their um, standing reach, their adductor squeeze and their knee to wall. And we use that as like a monitoring system in conjunction with some other bits and pieces to see basically what the player welfare is like and see if they're, we think they're at risk of potentially picking up an injury. Potentially further down in the squads where we have less contact time with them, we don't necessarily do a physical daily screening, but what we do is a wellness with them. So we get them to like monitor how many minutes they've played if they've played how many minutes their training's been how intense it's been how they're feeling in general so we can get an idea of what their training has been like away from Carnegie so again we can start to monitor their loading and adjust if we needed to in pre-season 
we get a little bit more time with them. So we do tend to look at a little bit more functional stuff. So um, they do some strength testing in the gym and then we have a good look at their movement patterns and see if there's anything that we pick up there. So is there, like, have they got a positive drum Dellenberg? Are we looking at maybe that when they need to strengthen their glutes? Have they, you know, potentially come back from an injury they haven't finished rehabbing from properly from another club? So we need to carry that on and build some strength up around that as well. So it really just varies. Okay, sounds good. And... Who decides what the movement screening is? Yeah, I think that, again, depends on which age group you are with. What we tend to do is with our under-15s, they almost don't have a screening process, but they just start with body weight movement Mm -hmm. in our gym sessions. So it's actually quite easy to pick up anything. So have they got like a valgus knee position? Are they struggling to get into that overhead squat position? Um, and if the S&C spot anything, then they'll call us in to have a look to see if there's something going on there, if we need to pick up some like work, whether that's strengthening or range of movement or flexibility work. Um, and then that changes. And then up to the first team, um, it really varies. So we tend to do more functional-based um, testing. So we have a look at um, some dynamometer scoring for like shoulder cuff strength. We have a look at their sit and reach. We have a look... Um, at their deadlift for their like their movement patterns. So again, it just varies on what kind of what specifically and how much time you get to spend with your athlete. Great, um, and I guess going on from that, I guess with a lot of prehab and especially with the corrective exercise that um, many of our PTs are going to learn to do through the qualification, uh, a lot of it's about picking the right exercises and um, deciding how to progress them. Um, and I guess it'd be interesting to know what your kind of general principles are around conditioning and prehab, how, how you choose to do things and why. Yeah, I think the most important thing to remember is that the quality of the movement is always the most important thing. That's above strength, that's above how many repetitions they can do. The quality of the movement has to be great first. They have to have good foundations before you then start to increase the weight or the reps that they're doing. So it's about really connecting with your athlete and asking them the questions. So let's take a single leg glute bridge if you've decided that they have a weakness in their glutes. Mm-hmm. Um, get I would get them to perform the, the most basic of that exercise first. So you do it bilaterally first and then do a couple of repetitions, make sure the movement quality is good and then ask them how it feels. Does it feel too easy? And if they're saying yes and you agree, then start to progress it so that's either by adding a glute band or making it a two to one in terms of their legs or making it a unilateral exercise but I think having that good communication with your athlete and then just making sure that their movement quality is perfect throughout I think that gives you an idea of where they need to be in terms of the hardness of the exercise. So Karen from kind of glute stuff that was quite interesting what about hamstrings because that's common in many sports and you know PTs and people talk about it regularly what do you guys do to kind of look at hamstring problems? So I think if uh, someone is coming to you and saying that they've got particularly tight hamstrings it's important to remember that the issue might not be with the hamstring itself but it might be further up the chain so we spend a lot of time looking at pelvic control um, and quite a lot of athletes spend an awful lot of time in anterior tilt Um, so can they come out of anterior tilt and can they maintain that um, and a lot of work around that pelvic control around it as well so um, 
I quite like some of the stuff that the SSC do on this about like crab setting and tucking the pelvis and making the athletes stay in that tucked position to really try and focus their um, rehab on getting in and out of those positions which they would need to do in running and potentially might be the underlying cause of why their hamstring is tight. Okay. Great. Um, so with regard to SSC, um, anything that Sarah talks about, we'll um, post as links for you. So you should be able to follow up on that and do some further reading if you are interested. Okay, uh, taking it from there, um, I guess the other thing I really want to talk about is, um, obviously we talk a lot about corrective exercise, prehab and the benefits, um, but you know, what are the limitations here? Um, that players will always get injured no matter how much prehab you do, yeah. unfortunately. Especially when you play like contact sports or quite high-demand high physical sports, your players are always going to get injured no matter how much re, uh, prehab you do. Um, so I suppose it's important to set your athlete's expectations that this isn't going to stop you from getting injured, but it's going to help reduce your injury risk. Um, and I think that's a really important message to get across. Um, the other limitations of prehab are trying to get your athletes to buy into actually do it in the first place, especially in the professional setting. We actually don't spend that much time with our athletes because their days are plan planned out pretty minute by minute. So if you can get a block of time where you, you, the, your athletes have to do the prehab, then that's great. But not every club is able to do that. So trying to get them to do extra work when they're away from the club is, can be quite challenging. Mm. Um, but again, I think it's about having that conversation with your athletes. And again, when you're looking after a team of players, not all of their needs are going to be the same. So it's trying to, although a lot of prehab would be ideal if you could tailor it to each individual person, when you're working with a team, that's not always possible. So it's about looking at your injuries, looking at your in the gym, talking with your SNCs and thinking about areas which are commonly injured and what you can do to help reduce that risk. Great. And I guess, yeah, the critical point you make there is it's about a reduction of risk, not necessarily that it's going to go away because we've done these exercises. Exactly. Um, so I guess thinking about reduction in risk, um, obviously FIFA 11 plus, which we talked about um, previously this podcast, um, you know, there's, there's quite a lot of evidence out there for it. Um, do you tell us a little bit about it and, and why it is so good? Yeah, I think FIFA 11 is great. I suppose it was one of the pioneers for prehab um, in terms of how much it has reduced injury risk. And there's a lot of data out there to prove that now. It's so successful that other sports are looking at FIFA 11 and adapt it to their sports. So I know the, the ballet community have taken FIFA 11 and completely adapted it to suit their needs of their athletes, um, which is great. I think when you share resources, it's the way that the community grows and the community gets better, which I just think is brilliant. But I think the way that football has bought into FIFA 11, especially at grassroots level as well, mm. I think that's one of the things that makes it so successful mm. is because everyone buys into it and knows that actually this is going to reduce our injury risk. There's science to prove it, so let's do it. Yeah, no, sounds good. Um, yeah, definitely, especially I think recently, just even in New York, like the, particularly the female teams almost seem to have taken up more um, because I guess it was initially based around female sport, yeah. wasn't it? Um, so again, we'll signpost you guys to the FIFA 11 Plus, a uh, great resource, tells you quite a lot about how to do the warm-ups to reduce that risk. Um, so I guess just to kind of finish off really, um, it'd be interesting to know what other things you commonly see in, in rugby really, that uh, you know guys who are listening to this might be interested to know. 
Um, so with rugby being a full contact sport, I see a wide range of injuries. Um, common areas that we get injured are shoulders, knees and ankles. They tend to be more common in terms of injuries. So we get quite a lot of like labral tears or shoulder dislocations. We've had quite a lot of ACLs this season, um, which is unusual. Um, but I think there's a number of factors there. Um, and then a lots of like ATFL syndesmosis kind of injuries. We also obviously see a lot of concussions. Um, specifically with the academy, our threshold, as it should be, is quite low for concussion. Mm. Um, so we do see a lot of those. Um, but I think with working with such a, a wide range of athletes, you get a wide range of injuries. And that's what makes the job interesting. You get something new coming up that you're not sure about and, you know, how do we stop this from happening again? Well, let's see if we can change the gym programs or let's see if we can change the prehab to try and reduce the risk of this type of injury happening again. Yeah, I guess with rugby, you see quite a lot as well, which is good. But again, goes back to what you were saying, which is prehab is useful for prevention or reduction of risk, but there's a lot of factors that you can't change. Yeah, exactly that. Um, I guess uh, before we kind of close off, really, I think some of the main reasons for this corrective exercise qualification is that it's not just for people who might want to work in a sports setting. It's also for the many personal trainers around the country who are working with clients where potentially looking at movement patterns and trying to improve them could potentially reduce injury mm -hmm. or allow them to do the movement more efficiently for whatever they're trying to lift or do. Um, so I guess a lot of this qualification really is aimed at that. So hopefully some of the resources we'll put based on what we've been talking about should be helpful yeah. regardless of the setting they work in. Um, but finally, I guess as part of that, are there any resources that you would signpost uh, some of our listeners to uh, around prehab or corrective exercise yeah. that you find useful? So I mentioned the SSC before. They're yeah. a great resource. The, in the work and the research that's coming out of there is literally groundbreaking. So I would highly recommend going over there and having a little look on their website. Um, there's a physiotherapist called David O'Sullivan. He's got some really nice work around that pelvic control stuff that I was speaking about before. Um and yeah, I think what you have to be aware of is that there's a lot of um, pages and information out there that isn't necessarily targeting what it says it's targeting. So it's up to you to do the research and make sure that it is so looking at your functional movement, knowing your muscles, knowing the weaknesses and making sure that what you're giving your clients is actually doing what you think it's doing. Great. And I think that that kind of echoes a point that Dale, who was on a previous podcast, was kind of said, which is really around this kind of evidence based practice of being able to prove why you're doing something and that it might make a difference. Or at least if you're going to do something, making sure that there's no adverse consequences for it. Um, and then, like you said, you're collecting data on the bits that you're more interested in, but don't necessarily have all the answers for. Yeah. Um, and I think it's something hopefully our guys will, will put some resource around how to decide if um, if the research or the paper that you're reading is evidence-based and you can trust it to make a decision. Right, thanks very much, Sarah. Thank you very much. Um, and we'll see you on the next podcast. Thank you.